he and I had become friends over the years. Um, I presented him 19 times. So we really built a relationship. Uh, but I got to tell you, I had no idea he would do the kind of forward that he did. I mean, I invited him more than a year ago in July of 2019, crossed my fingers because this is a busy guy. And, um, and, and, you know, it was due on April 1st, uh, the day his dad died. And uh, he needed more time. And I knew that the, uh, the publishers were going to be looking to having it. Anyway, I cried when I read it. And uh, I wrote to him right afterwards. And I said, I don't know how much, do you know how much this means to me? And then he reflected on it. And he said, you know, I reread it and I cried, he said. So we had built a really special relationship. <laughs> you know, and he, what I love about what he wrote, uh, Peter, is that it, it connects with any presenter in the world. Any one of us that, that, that does what I do, Winton was speaking to them. And in effect, it was his love letter to a presenter no matter where you are, because he was describing in that forward exactly what happens in a day. Now he and I, because we've gotten to know each other, we extended that a bit into the evening. And you know, he writes about the formal reception with the donors. Uh, but then there was always those kids those, those students that wanted to meet him and went in the educator, he would always say yes. And uh, it always touched me that I'd be there. I was trying to look out for his interest. Now, Winton, should we be going? No. And it would be 12.30. And then, you know, we'd finally wrap up. And I said, well, you know, the gang is down at the Blue Moon, the uh, Blue Nile. Shall we go down there for a bite to eat? And he'd say, let's get on down because there were jazz students from both Neutral Zone and the University of Michigan. And so I fell in love with the guy. Uh, plus he knew members of my family. Uh, my niece worked for him. Uh, he got to know our son. But I'll never forget this one instance when we were honoring him, Winton Marsalis and Jazz at Lincoln Center. And of course he was meeting with everybody backstage, but I needed to get the guy over to the Michigan League because there were sponsors and donors waiting. And finally I was able to pull him from the dressing room and we go outside and there are two elementary kids with their trumpets. And Winton looks at me and says, Ken, you know what I gotta do. And we walked back into his dressing room and he gave a lesson to those kids. Probably a 10, 15 minute lesson, but you cannot say no to Winton when there are kids around. And, um, and you know, our, our donors and our folks can, can wait a little bit longer. But, uh, so it was really a very special relationship. But again, I had no idea. I, I knew that he liked UMS, but when he wrote in there, um, I've been touring for 40 years and nobody does it better than UMS it was really, it was really very touching. But again, what I loved about it was it spoke to every presenter in the world, really. Ken Fisher was the president of the University Musical Society in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He was the leader of that group for three decades. Uh, the title of his new book is Everybody In, Nobody Out. And you, you explain what that means, and it really says it all about the collaborations, the diverse experiences that you presented 
uh, countless people in your audiences. And it, it seems like this is a notion and a title that's associated with a man named Patrick Hayes. Yeah. Patrick Hayes, um, well, let's just go back to the late 30s. And in my estimation, the most important presentation of the 20th century was Marian Anderson singing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial, sponsored by the President of the United States and his wife, Franklin Roosevelt and Eleanor Roosevelt. was she singing there because she was denied the opportunity to perform a recital at Constitution Hall run by the Daughters of the American Revolution. And there was a, a clause in their bylaws that said no, no black person sings you know, a, a recital here. Well, up in New York was Patrick Hayes about to become the manager of the National Symphony. And when he got here, this Irishman was determined to work together with others to desegregate the theaters of Washington, desegregate the lunch counters. And so for Patrick Hayes, it was a real mission to um, open up uh, Washington for the arts. And in 1953, he became the first person to present Marian Anderson in Constitution Hall under Patrick Hayes Concert Bureau. Um, and he'd been successful with others in, in getting that to change. But then in 1966, he said, uh, we should really become a nonprofit organization and add an educational mission to what we do. And by this time, he'd really established himself as the great presenter in Washington. But who did he select as his board chair? Because if you're a nonprofit, you have to have a board chair. Todd Duncan. First Porgy and Porgy and Bess, a distinguished professor of music at Howard University. And there's a photo of these two men together in a still quite segregated Washington, D.C. of 1966, saying, this is the future of the arts. We're going to be open. We're going to be inclusive. And it wasn't long, long before he created the notion of Eno, E-I-N-O, everybody in, nobody out. And while I never worked for Patrick, I learned a lot about the business, sort of sitting at his feet. Uh, we got him involved in a little chamber music organization that uh, five of us founded. And um, Patrick, bless his heart, he was, uh, now you guys have a good idea here. And um, uh, it was to have a, a concert a month for 12 months. And Patrick, uh, in his generous way, said, well, you know, it gets hot in the winter, hot in the summer, and cold in the winter. Maybe it'd be best to have those 12 concerts, six in the spring, six in the fall. Well, that was a brilliant idea because we, we were just rookies. We didn't know what we were doing. Then he said, you know, 
are your plans to become a 501c3? And we said, yes. He said, well, you know, that might take you a couple of years, but if, if you would be okay with my absorbing you for temporarily within my organization, can you and I can go tomorrow to the Kafritz and the Kiplinger Foundation and pick up 25 grand and you guys get started tomorrow? <laughs> That's exactly what we did. And Fisher is the author of Everybody In, Nobody Out. He led the University Musical Society in Ann Arbor for three decades as its president. Ken, earlier on in your tenure, you wanted to reach out to audiences at University Musical Society who maybe didn't feel completely comfortable, completely, completely welcome as, as audience members at concerts. And you made a special effort to reach out to a member of the University Musical Society's choral union, the singer, Letitia Bird. Tell me about how you worked with her. What was your relationship with her? Well, it was really remarkable. I mean, one of the things that uh, I learned coming in, you know, we're, we're housed at Burton Memorial Tower, quite literally an ivory tower. And um, uh, I just had a sense, we've got to get out of this tower. We've got to start connecting with the people of our community. And um, knowing that we're the the largest concentration of Arabs is, uh, is, you know, outside the Middle East is nearby. Detroit is a predominantly black community. Um, we have a diversity of Asian populations and, uh, and certainly Mexican town and so on. And, and we had no relationship with these communities of shared heritage that have large populations in our community. And, and so I thought, where do we begin? Let's begin with our own community, uh, the African-American community of Ann Arbor. And as a student of higher education, I'd done quite a bit of work um, getting to know historically black colleges and universities. And there were two gentlemen in town here, Johnny Barfield, black man, Ron Weiser, Caucasian, who just said, let's get together and once a year host a concert or host a, a, a dinner that will celebrate one of the historically black colleges. And I said, well, why don't I get involved with that group? Um, I knew something about it. It would be a genuine interest of mine. And so uh, for several years, I served on the, uh, on the executive committee, and it was a wonderful way for me to get to know leaders of Ann Arbor's black community um, and, and doing something that meant something to them. I didn't ask anything <laughs> about UMS. It's just a chance, listen, learn, get to know people. And um, at the end of one of the meetings, uh, I asked I ask if people would stick around a little bit. And everybody stayed around. And I said, you know, I'd like to see relationships improve between UMS and the, and the black community. And I think I heard a couple of folks mumble about time. <laughs> but it was, a, it was a, a group that said, thank you. And Letitia Bird was there and reached out her hand and said, I can help you with that. And um, I had a meeting with Letitia at her home. And she had a bunch of different colored canvas bags under her dining room table. And I said, tell me about those bags. And she said, well, there's a bag for the Methodist Church and a bag for Delta Sigma Theta and a bag for Lynx Inc. And a bag for, uh, for the uh, Coral Union, uh, uh, no, a bag for uh, SOS Crisis Center. There wasn't any bag for UMS. She had those classic membership tote bags. Membership tote bags. And they were all a different color. Right. 
And I could say that when I discovered there's none for us. And yet, as I, I began to get to know, here's a woman who'd been singing in our chorus for years, who'd been coming to our concerts. And uh, she said, I can help you here. Well, I knew then here's somebody that could, could really be helpful to us. And so between the, that late 80s, early 90s and 1997, she and I were working together and uh, the Lynx Inc., which she was a member, they began bringing uh, members of the community in to have their first experiences with UMS. And then um, the Ann Arbor News decided it would start a Citizen of the Year uh, project. And who would become Ann Arbor's first Citizen of the Year? I mean, this is a pretty cool community here. It was Letitia Bird. And it was like, here is all of our community recognizing this magnificent woman whom UMS had had in its midst for years and yet had failed to recognize, bring, involve, bring her leadership into our own organization. So it was a, a great lesson for us that we need to get out of the tower into the communities and, and connect with people. Ken Fisher for three decades was the president of University Musical Society his new memoir is entitled Everybody In, Nobody Out. One of the big moments that you share in your book is a moment that you spent in the dressing room with Leonard Bernstein. Uh, tell us about bringing him uh, under your leadership back to uh, Hill Auditorium with the Vienna Philharmonic. Well, let's understand the first two concerts at Hill Auditorium in my tenure, totally intimidating, were back-to-back -back performances by Leonard Bernstein and the Vienna Philharmonic. Now, I knew and he knew that he was planning a 70th birthday tour the following year, and there would only be a, a limited number of, uh, of invitations. Um, I thought, this is the time to bring Patrick Hayes out, hold my hand. So he and his wife, Evelyn Swarthout Hayes, they came out. And so one of the things you loved about Bernstein was he would meet every single person that was in line to meet him backstage. And that might be two hours, because that line would go out out the door. And don't you love that about an artist of his stature, anybody in line, I'm going to meet. So about midnight. It, he, might, my, he, he might have a shower first and put on his bathrobe and light up a cigarette, but he, he was in for the night to, to listen to everyone. And so it's midnight. He's finally uh, there. I asked Patrick, would you like to join me? Because I, I got to ask him a big question. And, pa and Patrick said, Ken, you can handle it. So I go in. I'm tall. Bernstein is short. In any case, he's even shorter when he's sitting down. And I needed to ask him an important question. I decided to get on my knee to look him in the eye. And I said something like, Mr. Bernstein, uh, next year, your 70th birthday and our 75th anniversary of Hill, we'd love to have you back next year. Something feeble like that. <laughs> it wasn't rehearsed. <laughs> but these are exact, his exact words. Ken, I love this town. I love the people of this town. And I love this hall we'll be back. And sure enough, shortly thereafter, four cities were determined. There would be uh, New York, Washington, Toronto, and Ann Arbor. Ken Fisher is the author of Everybody In, Nobody Out. 
It's his memoir that he's just published, and he led the University Musical Society in our in Ann Arbor for three decades. Ken, you're from Michigan. You grew up as a, a young musician. You spent time, a lot of time, up at uh, the Interlochen Academy in the summers. You were a horn player in the orchestra. When you hear the the, the opening of the last movement of Brahms' first symphony, uh, <laughs> do, does that how does that take you back in the the time machine that is music. Well, um, you happen to pick one that uh, means so much to me. You know, the, uh, when you're, uh, I, I started out at Interlocking as a trumpet player. You know, I was a 10 year old cornet player, but I took music talent exploration under a guy named Arthur Williams from Oberlin College. And every week you try a different instrument. By the sixth week, Seventh week, he said, yeah, try to French horn. You buzz your lips. But Ken, it's so much more diverse. You know, it's so much more interesting than a cornet. So at age 10, I began to think about this. This might be the instrument. And when I came back in uh, 1957 as an intermediate camper, I was solidly a French horn player. And uh, for me to have the opportunity to play those wonderful horn calls at the, at the top of uh, da, 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 was a great thrill. And then the, the horn solos in Les Prelude ain't, ain't so uh, easy either. Ken Fisher is the author of his new memoir, Everybody In, Nobody Out. Ken, thank you uh, for your leadership and your caretaking for three decades of the University Musical Society. Thanks, Peter. For WRCJ, this is Peter Worf.